0: Hey, kitty cats, welcome back to another episode of The The Spiritual Gaze. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon. And I'm the other host, Angel. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense.
1: No, because we don't get paid to pretend. We don't get paid for anything. (laughs) (laughs) No,
0: We don't, actually. Well, not on this podcast. This is an offering that comes from our hearts.
1: It is.
0: But if you want to support the podcast, you can always uh, share it with your friends or with your loved ones. Mm -hmm. You can shout us out on social media. Please do. You can leave us a review or rate us five
1: stars. Five stars. Or
0: if you want one-on-one mentorship or readings with Angel and I, you can connect with us in that way as well.
1: We'll sit down with
0: you and get through your shit together. We'll pull some cards. We'll look at your chart. We'll give you a healing.
1: Let's uh, introduce ourselves, shall we? I'm Angel Lopez. Oh, you are? I am. I am a writer and a film producer uh, by day and an astrologer by night. Well, you know, they say you're supposed to do all the spiritual shamanic work at night anyways. Though I do astrologize- During the day sometimes. During the daylight hours as well.
0: I'm Brandon Alter. I am a healer and a tarot reader and a teacher, and I'm also a writer and a performer. And and whatever else I decide to be on a day-to-day basis-
1: Sometimes a farmer?
0: Sometimes. No, I don't think I've ever been a farmer, but sometimes a gardener. Mhm. Sometimes a cook? You're an aspiring farmer. I am an aspiring farmer. I would love nothing more than just to like move out to the country with like a big plot of land and have like a bunch of alpacas and llamas and crops, and learn how to like make cheese and knit sweaters.
1: I mean, I'm all for that. I will, like, run the little artisanal shop. You'll run the boutique? Yeah, where people come. I mean, we're basically trying to become the Beekman boys, if any of you out there are familiar with that.
0: Well, except I would like to turn it into a commune where we just, like, buy more and more land and people can, like, come and live on the property and they can also, like, help make things happen. Oh, so you want to be a cult leader. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But I don't really want to be the leader. I want it to be more of, like, a democratic cult.
1: News to me.
0: That's what a commune is. It is, in theory, yes. Yeah. It wouldn't be cultish. You wouldn't have to, like, subscribe to any particular doctrine. No. No, you, you would just have to, like, be a good person
1: and... Live by Brandon's rules. It's <laughs> <laughs> so starting to feel very Pluto and Scorpio. <laughs> well, that's a good thing, because today we are going to be taking a deep dive into the planet Pluto and all things Plutonian and Scorpionic. Totally.
0: Uh, So check in with me, babe. What's going on with you?
1: Well, I'm definitely feeling in just the center of Transformation Central. Mm, Grand Transformation Central. Completely. Yeah, I think on top of just the whole Pluto-Saturn-Capricorn situation that's going on, you know, really uh, diminishing old structures and rebuilding new ones. So for me, that's happening in my ninth house. So. It's really about like, what do I believe? And, you know, what belief systems have I built myself on? So it's been really interesting for me, like specifically just how much that's been coming up lately around just not just like, what do I believe in, but just literally what have I convinced myself to believe about myself and how much of that is so outdated and not currently serving where I want to go and just also like how deeply embedded some of that shit has been like how much even when I'm like conscious of where the, it came from and you know the childhood sh- business like it's still like has seeped in so underneath my skin that it's literally been like I feel like I've needed to like have like salt scrubs every day you know just like shedding constantly uh, skin. I can't even like keep up with the feeling of that enough. Um, so it's been really, really interesting. I think just that's like on a more general conscious level for myself. Uh, but it's definitely related to just even like my, my writing and my daily stuff. Cause it all makes connection to my 12th house, Mercury, Venus, and relationships too. Like just, certain mentalities I had around relationships in my life and having to kind of reboot them and not really also allow others, people's perceptions of of people who I'm in relationship with like affect the actual relationship I have with them, if that makes sense. Um, so it's been really interesting just like being super hyper aware of everything going on in life. Uh, that can be a little overwhelming, but I feel like it's a rewarding time right now. So yeah, that's in a nutshell where I've been. How are you? I'm fine. I'm just hanging in there.
0: This Mercury retrograde is happening in my eighth house, which is the house of psychological undoing and monsters and pretty much just unpleasantness. And it's been in that house for a really long time. So I'm pretty much ready just to like move forwards. Um, But it's just like one of those moments in life when you just have to surrender to what's happening and so i'm just trying to on a daily basis just be like this is my life and this is what's happening and i'm just surrendering to it and trusting that each and every moment is perfect even if it doesn't feel perfect for me and yeah i'm not gonna lie and say like it's a really rip-roaring time in my life because honestly like i'm battling some pretty major depression on the daily And just like trying to get my head above water, but this too shall pass. And I think it's a value to say that just because one lives a spiritual life and has spiritual tools doesn't mean that they aren't just as subjected to like the highs and lows of brain chemistry or circumstance. In fact, sometimes living a spiritual life means that you're more willing than not willing to enter into the difficulties and the challenges because you recognize that they're trying to lead you somewhere you've never been before. So even though I have tools and skills, it doesn't mean that like they always make me feel 100% better all the time. And that's frustrating, too, when sometimes your little spiritual tricks or practices don't necessarily bring you back 100%. But I'm just going to try to spend some more time in nature and honestly with this full moon in Taurus that's happening tomorrow, which by the time this airs will have happened a couple days ago. But to me, it's just like I just got to be like getting into my body. Like Scorpio season is so fucking psychological and I just feel so like trapped and isolated in my head that I think the medicine is just to like get back into my body and just like be physical and find refuge in that. Shall we head to some listener questions?
1: Yeah, I think we should. I
0: think we thought uh, there were some questions from last time that we never got to, and we would circle back and take you into the... SG SG Mailbag! So I had a great question uh, come in from Private Cartomancer. And Private Cartomancer... (laughs) That's an amazing name, by the way. A Cartomancer for money? Uh, Yeah, exactly. In fact, I think Private Cartomancer's bio says, I'm your Private Mancer, Mancer for money. I'll read what you want me to read. I mean, you're a genius. So the question is, uh, is there any special significance to the full moon being in your sun sign? So, for example, the full moon in Taurus, which happened on Tuesday. If you are a Taurus sun, is there any special significance to that?
1: Yeah, I'd say there's definitely some significance to that. Wouldn't you agree?
0: Oh, 100%. I think it's like supercharging. It's like the supercharged moon of the year for you.
1: Yeah, because it's like your own personal will is like, and vitality is like completely entangled in that. And if a full moon is a time of like, you know, sort of call like culmination around something within you, I mean, it's an opportunity to kind of like really release some sense of self even, you know, that doesn't just live on the emotional plane because that's what the moon is all interested in is like what's going on inside. The sun being involved there can actually really help you, I would think, like emote that out, like release something too that's like on the surface as well. Right. Yeah. It would draw
0: out perhaps some of the subterranean or subconscious feelings that you have in that part of your chart or your life to become more revealed because full moons also can illuminate. So just because we have our sun in a certain sign doesn't mean that everything in that sign is conscious for us. So keep in mind also that if the full moon is happening in your sun sign, then that means the sun itself is opposing your natal sun, which also could be a little challenging because if you're um, a sun in Taurus, that means that the sun is in Scorpio right now. And so that's an opposition. So I don't think it's a bad thing, but it certainly could be a little turbulent. And you might just be feeling more emotional in general because you've got
1: the moon so close to your sun. Yeah, and I would say I always look at like, to what Brandon was saying, it's kind of technically like your half birthday. Not that that's a technical thing. but uh, It is an Alice in Wonderland. That's true. So if we were in Wonderland it's technically your half birthday. So I would say that to me is always a good time to check in on like, you know, it's your halfway mark through your own personal year. So how far have I come? You know, did I have certain things that I was looking to uh, strive for during this year, things I was trying to attain, transform, change? Like, how am I doing on my year's progress and really use it as a check-in time. And since it's a full moon, like what emotional boundaries, baggage are you still holding on to that are keeping you from actually moving forward on those personal goals for yourself. So it's really, it's it can be challenging, like Brandon said, because you have to really take stock and look at, oh yeah, I am still acting a fool around this or being bitchy to so-and-so because of she didn't show up to my party, you know, or what have you. And take that time to really understand that about yourself and either make the changes and release it or, you know, double down and be even bitchier than all hell. And nobody wants anyone to be bitchier than all hell. That's what I would say. I certainly don't. Do we have another question? We do.
0: Somebody asked um, a really interesting question about their sun, moon, and rising signs are all so distinct and strong. How can I make them get along? Who asked that? Oh, we don't know. Uh, Kayla Wanders.
1: Hey, Kayla.
0: So the visual that comes to my mind Hmm. is like three people sitting in a room together, like around a table. And like they are locked in there until they can work it out. The truth is is that you are going to spend the rest of your life with your sun, your moon, and your rising sign. And even if they are very different and very strong, they can collaborate with each other. And they bring different strengths and weaknesses. So every sign has things that it's really good at, and it has things that it's not so good at. So to have different energies available to you in your birth chart is actually a blessing and not a curse. And so you might just start to consider, like, what is this part of me really good at? and where does this part of me struggle and how can another part of me come in and pick up the slack so you find a collaborative way i don't think it's about making parts of yourself get along i think it's about finding how they want to collaborate
1: yeah so i would actually really off brand off what you were saying like really look at the house placements of that sun and moon in particular and yeah where in your life do they really want to be utilized you know what areas it's like really putting them to work and focusing that energy, because if they are strong, and I guess I'm trying to think what would be, like, I was thinking of my own, and I'm like, well, I have, like, you know, I have Taurus and Cancer together, like, they get along, you know, like, there are certain, like, you have Aquarius and Aries, which I think get along, you know, Um, so I was trying to think of, like, what would be, like, a really challenging, (laughs) like, trio, Um, and probably, like, three that are all squared to each other and opposing maybe, you know, like a Leo, Aquarius, Scorpio. Yeah.
0: But also, you know, like where in your life, Leo, do you need to be center stage? Where Mm -hmm. in your life, Aquarius, do you need to take care of other people? Right. And where in your life do you need to really like find depth and transformation and give yourself
1: the gift of like a deep dive? Totally. So if you're putting all of those to their specific task... Then the bigger picture is going to work much better, yeah. Than if you're trying to like get them to get along with each other and and come at it from that angle, probably
0: totally. Because like if you're a Leo Sun in the fourth house, then like you need to be the star of the show at home. But if your Aquarius Sun is like in the tenth house, then like you can go and take care of other people at work. Mm-hmm. So it's just being creative in that sort of capacity. Like for me, I know like my Aries um, placements, like they are in my first house and like, that's just about like how I am relating to myself. Like my Mars just like needs exercise and to like be moving literally. And if it doesn't happen in that way, then it starts to get expressed in like picking fights or like being overly aggressive. So you're just needing to find how does that energy want to express itself in the most beneficial way, Mm -hmm. but they're all beautiful combinations. There's no such thing as a bad combination. So maybe somebody said something to you that you took, to heart, but it's not true. Like there is a beautiful way for all three of your placements to get along.
1: Yeah. And even, you know, I mean, I think even to that, all of them can be strong as well. Even the ones that, you know, even a Pisces, which on the surface may seem like a little more subdued or, you know, quiet or in in the background can be really loud in its environment. And, you know, you can definitely find yourself in a room with a Pisces and get easily washed away, <laughs> you know, into their sea. So, you know, anyone can have like a powerful element. Again, it's just about how do you put them to work? And that really comes down to like all your planets, you know, like having that, figuring out what that Venus placement is, what that Mars placement is, and how do I put them to work?
0: And that's what your chart is a map to. It will show you where in your life these planets want to be used so that you can use them to bring you closer to your life's purpose as opposed to just making a mess of your life. All right, so the last question we're going to tackle today is from The Golden Flow. And the question here is, what is uh, our take on all the shifts, their connection to January 2020? How do you ride this wave, yellow heart, prayer hands, rocket ship emojis? So I don't know if we can talk about all the shifts, but I think what we're talking about is this Pluto-Saturn conjunction in Capricorn that's happening in January and everything that's been leading up to it. For example, we just had Mars square each of those planets, which gave us a little taste of what this conjunction is going to be when we get to January. And how do we ride this wave of rather challenging transformational energy, as Angel was talking about earlier in the check, and this is all about restructuring your life. And it's not just about the structures that you can see, it's about the structure's internally that you've built your life upon. So honestly, I think the reason why this retrograde in Scorpio is a gift if you can open it up and unwrap it is because you're being taken into the depths of your own personal foundations. So if you're going to restructure, don't just restructure the lobby, restructure from like the basement and figure out what is the deepest belief your whole life has been built on, and chances are it's probably not serving you. And all of the illumination that's happening isn't necessarily pleasant because who likes to see their own monsters, who likes to see their own shadow, their own demons, but it's so that you can bless them and send them on their merry way. So how do you ride this wave? Girl, how do you ride any wave? You just try to stay on the board. (laughs) And if you get knocked off, then you just try to keep your head above the water. And if you get caught in a riptide, you know, you just go with the tide because if you try to fight against it, that's when the trouble really happens.
1: Yeah, I think it is very important to always remember too, yeah, that this too shall pass. So if it's incredibly challenging for you, know that it is just a transit. Yeah, just ride it out. Yeah. Temporary. yeah you will move through it so um but i think it is very important you know at the end of the day to remember that the only way out is through so it's incredibly valuable for everyone right now to understand what area of their chart that you know particularly this capricorn energy is moving through for you and how is it affecting other areas is it you know, if, it, if it's Capricorn and you have planets in uh, Cancer or Aries or Libra, then it's potentially affecting you in a really intense way. If you have planets in, you know, that are sextiled to Capricorn, which are two signs over. For the most part, Pisces or
0: Sagittarius,
1: exactly. Then there is some sort of like a bit more of a gentle energy. Taurus and Virgos are experiencing it in a in their own way too. So it's really important to for everyone to understand how everyone is going through some sense of things got to end. And I got to start anew in some way. You know, we've all been feeling the build of it through this whole year, but now it's really starting to intensify for everyone. And we're having no choice but to see endings happen around us or to accept the endings that want to happen around us or to motivate those endings. So we're at whichever you know, space you're in, like be present to it and do your best to face the fears that you have around it. And I would even say, make some of those demons and monsters, your allies in it and say, all right, show me, show me how to, you know, take some of that fearful energy and like use it for good, you know, to step through it.
0: And I think that this deep dive is gonna help everybody because as we go through Pluto in the signs, don't just think about where is Pluto in your natal birth chart. But think about what house is the current Pluto in Capricorn occupying in your chart, because that will give you a sense of what you're facing right now, where Pluto is transiting through your life, not just where it was at the moment of your birth. So I would say, as you look at your chart and we go through all 12 houses, go, oh, this is the house that my Pluto was when I was born, but this is the house that Pluto is transiting through right now. So let's just get to it.
1: Yeah, let's just get to it.
0: All right, everybody, you know how this works. Put on your sparkliest bikini and grab your oxygen tank because it's time for this episode's
1: Deep Deep Dive. Dive! All right, so today we are descending into the underworld and talking all about Pluto. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Pluto, uh, you know, as we know from an astronomical standpoint, is the furthest planet in our solar system, or not a planet at all, question mark? Right. (laughs) As we know. But let's not shade her. No.
0: Discovered on January 21st, 1930 from the Lowell Observatory in one of my favorite places, Flagstaff, Arizona. Yeah, right on the cusp of Capricorn Aquarius season. And we thought we would talk about Pluto, not just because of the upcoming Pluto-Capricorn-Saturn conjunction, but because Pluto is the ruling planet of Scorpio. And here we are, neck deep in Scorpio season. So we thought, let's just embrace
1: these stormy, (laughs) intense waters. I mean, neck deep. We're under it with a straw, just... Poking the surface for air. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) So Pluto rules over
0: miracles and atrocities, transformation, regeneration, extremism, transition. If we think of Pluto as the god of the underworld, Hades, it's about death and rebirth. It's about large groups. It's about intensity, all those things that are scorpionic. It also rules over the occult. This podcast is Plutonian. The spiritual gaze are Plutonian. If you are interested in tarot or astrology or crystals or anything that is mystical
1: or supernatural ghosts uh that's plutonian yeah we say pluto rules like our connection to our own personal power you know there's like i even love just like the symbol for pluto that it's just this like p with feet you know like it just literally like power on legs (laughs) is essentially like pluto energy for us um but yeah very much connected to uh Death and rebirth, like you said, transformation. Uh, I mean, it's that Scorpio planet. So, yeah,
0: where are you the most extra in your life is Pluto, the intensity.
1: Yeah. Yeah, And on some level, too, where are you potentially like afraid to be most intimate with yourself? You know, Pluto wants you to go underneath the surface of you to get into like the inner workings of what makes you you know, do the things you do. So Pluto is really that invitation into like self intimacy. And the shadow realm. And yeah, very importantly, the shadow realm and what our relationship is to our shadow self. And for each of us, that's a uniquely different thing. And uh, the house placement can be really helpful in trying to understand that.
0: And the thing about Pluto is it's a very slow-moving planet. It's the slowest-moving planet.
1: Yeah, Pluto actually, because it's on this, like, elliptical orbit. Meaning it's more like an oval and less like a circle. Right. It sometimes even, like, infiltrates the orbit of Neptune. Uh, so it can basically be in a sign anywhere from 13 to 30 years. So the thing with Pluto that I find so interesting is that whereas, you know, a lot of the, you know, the other planets in our chart will, you know, transit all around our chart and will touch all the different houses of our chart, Pluto, like Neptune and Uranus, are the outer planets. They move much slower. So, and Pluto moves the slowest.
0: So it actually takes 245 years and four months. For Pluto to move (laughs) all the way through the Zodiac.
1: And ain't nobody got time for all that.
0: So in a normal lifetime of somebody, you know, like 70 to 80 years, Pluto's literally only going to pass through like between three to six signs. Yeah. So like ain't nobody going to live through a full Pluto return. No. Which is why Pluto is really connected to generations. Completely. Because if you think about the fact that it spends from 13 to 30 years in a sign, then that means that it really plants the seeds for how a generation is going to express itself. Yeah.
1: So there'll be some sort of like larger reaching, like just through lines for everyone who are born at a certain era. Totally. So for myself, I was born in the Pluto and Libra generation which basically was like from like 71 to like 84, give or take. And what I think is interesting about Pluto in Libra is that it was kind of like the generation where divorce really started to show up. And I think on some level, even like therapy began to become a thing that people started to accept more. So it was very much of like these dark, deep, transformational experiences through one-on-one relating and relationships. It was like people in in that era of time, just when Pluto and Libra was happening, everyone was experiencing that feeling of, oh, I don't necessarily have to like just subscribe to Marriage or one way of thinking, I can actually allow myself to understand, like, oh, you're reflecting back to me all of these terrible things about myself or things I don't like about myself. And either I'm going to evolve through it and work with you on it, or I'm going to evolve through it and work on myself. But either way, it was like that generation. So we were kind of, you know, I was kind of born at a time when that was there, which is probably why on some level my Pluto and Libra does exhibit so much on like a, like I am very like, you know, self-aware through my relationships with people. You know, I, I gain a lot of my transformative experiences through my deep one-on-one relationships. And then you're a Pluto and Scorpio baby, right?
0: Yeah. So our generation is (laughs) the intense as fuck. But we're also here to, like, shake stuff up. I mean, like, Pluto and Scorpio is really, like, the beginning of millennials. And even though... Yeah, it was basically,
1: like, 83 to 95. Exactly.
0: So this is really the generation that came in with technology, kind of, like, in our hands. Mm -hmm. And that really transformed how we were able to connect with ourselves, but also... If you think about the seeds that are planted, because you don't really know what the generation is going to be like until it's older and like really living in the world. And so I think right now we're actually seeing what Pluto and Scorpio generation is, because now that's like the loud voices. And we look at this younger generation and we see how they're so fluid with gender and sexuality and how much more open to spirituality
1: and the occult they are. And that feels very Pluto and Scorpio. Yeah. Well, and then even like the younger kids, like the 95, those born from 95 to like 2008, like the high school kids and those just getting like through college and in college. I mean, those are the ones who are really like taking to the streets now, you know, like you had like that whole movement around, you know, uh, like gun control for instance, you know, led by a ton of children, you have Greta Thunberg, like, you know, like standing up for climate change. I mean, that's then like the Pluto and Sagittarius group who are like, we're going to stand up and we're just going to like tell the truth. Right, transforming that universal truth. Exactly. Um, But I think something really interesting to consider is, uh, I've brought her up before, but Caroline Casey, whose book, uh, Making Making the the Gods Work for You. Exactly. by Caroline Casey. Um, I really like the way that she described it. It was this like three-step process.
0: Oh, a three-step process? Mm -hmm. Well, you know I love any sort (laughs) of process, so please.
1: All right. So she basically calls like the first sort of phase in the process the disruption of the outer world. Ah, so, you know, like a volcanic crisis. Yeah, and if you think about it, Pluto is essentially, like, the destroyer.
0: Yeah, and it rules over earthquakes and volcanoes and all sorts of natural disasters.
1: So, you know, it is really that first phase of there's some sort of, you know, yeah, like, shake-up in your life that, you know, basically forces you to descend into, you know, the metaphorical underworld. Or the dark night of the soul. Exactly. Um, And then phase two is then the not knowing phase, which is essentially we're moving through the underworld, which is dark and mysterious. But in that phase, we are gathering knowledge, facing the demons, you know, essentially like getting some sense of understanding about what the issue is at hand, you know, like what the destructive event was caused for.
0: Right. You thought you knew, but you didn't know, which is why your life ended up in crisis in the first place. And so then you embark on a journey of not knowing so that you can start to gather that information.
1: Yeah. And really kind of strip away all the old shit that you that you don't need. Right. Because you're now in the underworld. So just let it go. Yeah. And then you have the third phase, which is essentially the you know authentic rebirth, as she calls it, um, but it's really that like surge of authenticity that occurs once you like uh, uh, have experienced like a rebirth and can rededicate yourself to your life's mission up on Earth once again, but bringing with you all of the knowledge and wisdom that you received during your underworld stage.
0: Yeah, it's like a phoenix metaphor, right? Like the a phoenix thousand percent, dies, yeah. it turns to ash, and then from the ash, it is reborn. Yeah,
1: I mean, the phoenix is that symbol. Um, So where in your life do you sort of need to phoenix? Yeah. (laughs) In a way. And I think that wherever
0: Pluto is in your chart is where you actually have the most access to transformation. So you know how we like to do here. We're not going to go into all the generations of Pluto in Scorpio because that could be a whole show on itself and maybe we'll do one of those shows. Mm -hmm. Um, But we really wanted this to be applicable to all of you gazers out there. So we're going to go through the houses and you want to look at what house Pluto is occupying. Again, that's like where your intensity lies, but it's also where you are being invited to transform. And in some ways it also might be like where is like the deepest darkest crevice of your life. Where are you the most terrified? Where are you the most blind? Where are you, on your bravest days, not even willing to go? That's Pluto. It's the underworld. And it takes a really strong constitution to be able to face yourself in that way. But it's not a mean or bad planet. If you can embrace your Pluto, it makes you Plutonian.
1: (laughs) And what we know about
0: Plutonium is that it is a fucking very powerful element and also dangerous <laughs> yeah if not dangerous. contained mm-hmm. so we'll just start in the first house and we'll move all the way through yeah. So pull out your charts and figure out where's your pluto at birth and also figure out where is capricorn because that's where pluto is right now when it conjuncts with saturn So if you have Pluto in the first house, which is the house of self, you're probably somebody that has an ability to transform like Madonna all the time, to like reinvent yourself, the way you look, the way you are, like you're constantly changing with the times and with your own kind of moods and phases. Also, I think anyone that has Pluto in the first house is just going to have a natural intensity, like you're going to feel that when you meet them, because the first house is the house of self. So to have that powerful player right there in the first house where everyone can see it and feel it and taste it, people are probably
1: going to like tell you that you're a lot. Yeah, they will probably. And you'll feel like a Scorpio to people. Even if you're a Virgo, you're going to have a Scorpio vibe to you because that Pluto, you know, that energy, it's so powerful. So you're going to exude, like you said, that intensity and there can be a bit of a darkness to it, you know, like the sort of like goth expression is pretty on the surface. Scorpio. But it
0: might just be a dark sense of humor or like being dry or, you know, like.
1: Yeah, that you ultimately like take things a little seriously, you know, like you yeah, it can still have a sense of humor, but it might be a little dark. A Pluto in the first house can also sometimes be really, I would imagine, overcritical because they can be obsessive. So you're obsessing a lot around your perception, how you come across. So, you know, you have to be careful not to like get so consumed with how are people perceiving me. That you aren't able to understand who you you know who you are, you know you you could get consumed with wanting to put out a certain type of persona. So Pluto in the second house for people that have that placement, well Pluto in the second house, I mean it's you know you transform through your relationship to self value and self worth. Like you ultimately have to learn how to become like your own authority your most powerful source of self-value. You know, it can be, I think part of the like transformation process of that is constantly like perhaps putting power in your material possessions, you know, like transforming through trying to receive things and get things, but ultimately having to learn that none of that is ultimately of true value to yourself. That, you know, the goal is to get intense around how much do I love myself? You know, what what is my value? What am I here to offer the world? And I think that's really important on Pluto for Pluto too. I mean, because there is a sense of Pluto that is like, I'm here to give to others, you know, like I'm here to find out how to best be myself so that I can then transfer that energy out into the world, you know, take it out into the world. So I think very important for people who have uh, Pluto second house to know that they are going to transform at their deepest through their connection to to self worth, self value. But then also, yeah, then there is a money element to that, and making sure that they use their you know actual physical resources for
0: good. Pluto in the third house.
1: Well, Pluto in the third house, I mean, you definitely can have some real, like, deep, dark thoughts. That's for sure. She's scorpionic in the head. So, you know, there is ultimately a need to transform, uh, you know, through your mentality and the way you communicate with others out in the world. Um, And with yourself, like, how am I talking to myself? Um, You know, that shadow can be really be projected um, through ideas, mentality, you know, like a Pluto in the third house could be like a really intense writer, you know, like could be someone who could really move, you know, people through their use of words can transform a room of people with their words so important to really, like, take their relationship with words and with thoughts incredibly seriously, you know, and understand, like, how they use them um, and to try to use them for good instead of bad as, as best as they can. Nice. And Pluto in the fourth house? I mean, Pluto in the fourth house, that's an intense placement, you know? There's real, like, power intensity at home. Um, Now, if we use just the idea of obsession with, you know, Scorpio-Pluto energy, there can be an obsessive nature around home and environment. I have to have security. I have to have safety, Like, and I'm going to do everything else in my life to make sure I have that, which can maybe put you into a job you can't stand for 10 years. So you have to be careful not to, you know, allow that obsessiveness to overwhelm you. But ultimately, it's like wanting to like really transform through your home environment. Maybe the early environment was not a good one, you know, was dark, was scary, was intense. There was probably a parent, you know, I think people usually associate, astrologers usually associate the fourth house with the father. Um, So there was potentially some, but I think it can be any parent. Mm. So, you know, there was some parent there who, you know, was probably an overbearing force on some level. And that can, you know, showcase in... I'm mean and I'm scary and I'm telling you to go to your room and do your homework or I will smack you across the face, that can also sometimes show itself as I'm here for you and I'm present and tell me everything that happened on your date and tell me this, you know, and then you're like, and maybe on some level you're like, oh, this is so healthy. And then later in life, you're like. Oh my gosh, that kind of set me up for something, right? Like the cool mom, right? Yeah, like your best friend. Yeah, so you know that on some level creates this like depth of intensity for you around a parental figure that then you are like, I don't know how to how to live without that in my home, you know, and so then you ultimately try to become that energy. So it's important to like not become the overbearing parent you know, or authority figure in your home as well. Like to try and like, you know, use that energy of intensity in that area to like create like a really loving, stable foundation for yourself and for everyone you share a home with, but to still allow others the space to be themselves within it.
0: Fascinating. Uh, All right, so Pluto in the fifth house.
1: Pluto in the fifth house. I was listening to uh, this guy, this astrologer, Tom Jacobs, who uh, he is someone who studies Pluto in depth. And he was talking about Pluto in the fifth house or in Leo as being, like, the person who, like, gets mad because you didn't like their poem. Oh, my goddess, totally. Right? (laughs) Like, who takes it really hard. Yeah. You know, the, like, wait, you don't want to hear my play read out loud right now? (laughs) Um because there is, like, such a, like, intense connection to creativity, you know, and what's, what they're putting out into the world, that expression, you know, it's that, you know, Leo rules the sun, so it is very much just that vital energy force that's out there, and what's, like, couldn't be more of an opposing energy than Pluto to that. So there is a real challenge, I think, in, like, a Pluto and Leo Or fifth house placement because you have a real depth of intensity around, what am I creating? Uh, What am I building to help express? You know, it it rules children. So there can probably be on some level this like deep need to have children and to like reproduce out into the world. You know, it can become almost an obsession. So like,
0: like if you have Pluto in the fifth house, you could be Pluto in the fourth house to your kids. Mm, Yes. Like you become that intense figure in their lives.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, But overall, I think it's very important with that Pluto fifth house placement to find some sort of creative outlet that you can, you know, push most of your energy into, you know, to really try and transform through your creativity to utilize it you know i think that people can have that placement and say i'm not creative i don't know what that is but ultimately that's the shadow self you know that that if i try and move towards some sort of creative expression uh, and it doesn't work or people don't like it you know or what you know whatever the mind convinces us of um, that it's not important, but ultimately it's important to your soul's evolution. It wants you to create in some way.
0: Mm. So then Pluto in the sixth house, which is your placement, right? It is my placement. So what's your
1: experience of that? I mean, well, mine's particular because I have Pluto opposing my son. So that's like a whole additional element. But yeah, It's in- like a carnival. <laughs> totally. Uh but essentially what i find with the pluto in the 6th house is an intensity around just day to day you know like i've always kept a calendar I'm very intense around scheduling. Even if I don't keep my schedule, I'm very intense around rescheduling it. But it's interesting that I do have a shadow element to my schedule because then sometimes I will let things go for a bit. And that I find is like a reflection of my just that shadow self who doesn't want to ultimately take responsibility for certain things so I can see the things in my life that I'm like unwilling to be responsible for because those are the things that get pushed off um and ultimately I think a Pluto in the sixth house has to learn to like ultimately accept responsibility for all of their day-to-day I think it can be easy to like look to someone else to come in and like just tell me where to go tell me what to do and I will go all the way in for it but Pluto's like, no, you're big daddy here. Like, you have to take it on. Um, and, you know, we can sometimes get a little obsessive to a degree around certain daily things. That's probably my household shit, too, of like the day we have to make sure that all the household stuff is taken care of, you know, but, um, or just things of that nature, like tasks you know i it can get like obsessive but ultimately it's ultimately it is around like transforming at your deepest level through a relationship with you know creating routine for yourself that's healthy that's soul supporting and also health and you know checking in with your health and well-being and having a really in-depth relationship with your health i find that um I tend to have, like, health issues come up that are ultimately really, you know, symptoms of some greater, you know, subconscious psychological element that's going on with me. You know, I have definitely have been more times than others I know, the guy who goes to the doctor and they are like, we don't know what this is, but it should just go away. I used to get, like, crazy skin ailments and aches and things, and people are like, you know, I'll go get x-rays, I'll go get tests, I'll go get this, and they're like, mm, we don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. You also, like, no tea, no
0: shade here, but, like, you also kind of freak out over, like, really minor mm-hmm. injuries or ailments. Completely. Like, they kind of, like, spin you out.
1: Yeah, but if you think about Pluto
0: is, like, your connection to death. Right, so for you, it's like, it feels in some small way like you're gonna die.
1: Yeah, it's like this need to protect. You know, but I've got to protect my health. I must protect it at all costs. Yeah. So don't do that, guys. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Pluto in the seventh. What's that all about? I feel Uh, like someone in this room has that. It's
0: Noche. Noche's got Pluto in the seventh. Oh, no. He's got a nap going on No. I have Pluto in the seventh, which is the house of relationships. So, you know, if you have... I remember I gave a reading once to this woman And she just said to me, she's like, I'm not used to somebody making so much eye contact. (laughs) And I was like, well, girl, I got Pluto in the seventh, like one on one, like shit's going to be intense, you know, Yeah. Um, which is also, though, like why I'm really good at my work. Like if you come to me for healing or reading, like I give you everything like one on one is where you get the full weight of my power. Um, But it also means that like in relationships is where I transform. So like being in relationship with Angel for like the past nine years has been the greatest furnace for my own personal transformation. (laughs) And I think, though, that Pluto in the seventh, luckily, like my Pluto has some nice aspects to my moon and to Neptune, which kind of softens it, which is why I'm like, how am I a Pluto in the seventh house? in Scorpio, a person that's been in a long-term monogamous relationship for almost a decade. And that's probably why, because I think a lot of people with Pluto in the seventh might really shy away from relationship, might be afraid of relationship because it's going to challenge their sense of self.
1: Yeah, well, that shadow self is, is the guard to their intimacy. Exactly.
0: Or just to their ego, who, like, doesn't mm-hmm. want to be forced to see that, like, they aren't as perfect or together as they think they are. So... Uh, it's really just all around intensity around relationship. It also could be like an obs- like you're obsessed with relationships. Mm-hmm. And we all know that like in wanting something too much or being obsessed with something, you block it from coming to you. So Pluto in the seventh house is also like you're not trusting or allowing the right relationship to happen. Pluto in the eighth
1: house. I mean, welcome home, Total Pluto. Total annihilation. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Pluto through the eighth house is, you know, just constant regeneration, you know, or at least having to give over to that. That could be a painful placement for people if you aren't living a, an unaware life. Yeah. You know, if you don't understand that you're constantly going to go through these regenerative, regenerative processes and you're only able to see them from a certain perspective, you might just even think, God, I have, like, The worst luck ever, you know, things never, things constantly change, you know, or I can't hold down this or that. When ultimately, each of these deaths and rebirths are really invitations to an up level situation in your life, a transformation, uh, a progress report, you know, for you. I think Pluto in
0: the eighth house is also trying to transform everything around you. Mm. And so you have to be careful of unconscious or even conscious sorcery. And like manipulation, whether it be known or unknown and trying to, you know, like I was reading that Margaret Thatcher had Pluto in the eighth house. Ooh, girl. And, you know, that was... You know, we just have to look at power. Power is power. How you use power is what gets into morality. But like Margaret Thatcher had significant power. So to have Pluto in the eighth house means that you have access to an insane amount of power. Your thoughts have power, your words have power, your presence has power. But if you're not using it with integrity, you could be making a mess of not just your own life, but the lives of all the people around you that you need. I mean, it's kind of like, it's, you know, to go back to the cult leader, like, That could be Pluto in the 8th house. It's like everyone has to adhere
1: to your beliefs.
0: Otherwise, you know, total annihilation.
1: (laughs) So yeah, I think super important to try and understand how to utilize it for good. All right, Pluto in the ninth. So Pluto in the ninth, you know, there can be, on one hand, like a bit of an intensity, obsession around knowledge. I want to learn everything. You know, you could be a little bit of a like, you know teacher's pet style (laughs) you know like have that energy to you um and there's an obsession too around belief and trying to understand Well, what do i believe in you know god religion um you know this intensity of trying to understand uh just what's underneath it all and
0: like jessica fletcher you have to solve the mystery (laughs) oh my
1: god totally pluto in the ninth Murder She Wrote, uh, but uh, but ultimately, I mean, you're meant to transform through all of you know, seeing life as school, you know, like allowing all of your experiences to be educational for yourself, you know, to give over to wanderlust when it shows up at your door and take an adventure somewhere you know don't just sit at home and obsess about wanting to get out into the world like f- make it a priority find ways to go out into the world because that's ultimately how you're going to transform at your deepest mm. is by connecting to others is by you know moving beyond whatever maybe self-imposed or even just beliefs that you have around some level of education, you know, and find a way, strive toward it so that you can have it without obsessing about wanting it. I think that's really key.
0: And ultimately, remembering that the truth is within yourself. It's not something that you necessarily are going to find outside of yourself, no matter how far you go. Like you can travel the whole world, but sometimes you just got to sit still
1: yeah your greatest power is your self-knowledge so to yeah be a real student of self is incredibly important with that Pluto ninth house and then Pluto in the tenth house uh don't be a monster in, to at work <laughs> <laughs> a Miranda Priestley oh she could be a Miranda Priestley Pluto in the 10th house walks into you know, the doors of their office or work environment and everyone starts scrambling. Totally. You know, like they shift the molecules of a room. Totally. To fit their presence, you know. So there's a real intensity around ambition with uh, Pluto 10th house. Like, I've got to succeed. I've got to make this thing happen. Um, But ultimately you transform through your career. You know, you transform at your deepest soul level through what you've come here to this world to do to try and understand that and that quest for it so there can be somewhat of an obsession around well what is that um but i think it's important to not get caught up in the you know typical areas in that you compare yourself to others and judge yourself based off what others you know everyone's journey is different so it's very important not to get caught up in society's idea of what success is like if you are just committed to pursuing your passion or at least discovering your passion you're already succeeding so it's keeping that in mind um, but yeah, your power very much lies in, you know, what is my purpose? What I'm here, what how what mark am I here to make on the world? And I want to understand that and and put that out there. Very informative. Personally.
0: Yeah. Because the Pluto Saturn conjunction oh, happens yeah. in my tenth house. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's not all about me. for now uh the 11th house what if somebody's working with pluto in the 11th house
1: well i believe that pluto in the 11th house i mean you're transforming through how you you know if if in the 10th house you're discovering what your purpose is the 11th house is then where you're going to like communicate it to the world Mm. you know how am i putting it out there and making the world a better place. Tenth is what I know I should do. And then the eleventh is how I should do it mm. in a way that's, you know, to the highest good of all. So there can be a real, like, on some hand, obsession around how do I make the world a better place? Right. And around, <laughs> like,
0: groups and group energy.
1: Yeah. Like, friends, you know? Like, I got to know everybody. Totally. You know? I got to be in everybody's business. Community. Mm-hmm. hmm yeah. But if you can utilize that for good, you know, I mean, talk about being like a powerful community leader. Totally. You know, someone who can really rally people at the depths of of understanding around an issue, you know, and, and get people to really feel it, you yeah. know.
0: Um, I'd be curious to hear from our Pluto and 11th house listeners how it manifests for you. Because to yeah. me, that's the one that seems kind of
1: hidden. Because, yeah, on the surface, it seems like it's something that, you know, was transforming through how you connect with the world at large. Yeah. You know, and like having to have some sort of connection to making this world a better place, you know. Totally. But not getting consumed by that, you know, and not getting consumed also even by the darkness of that, that it can be easy to see the world as, like, a lost cause. Totally, and just let it swallow you up. Yeah. So, you know, if we're looking at, like, the shadow side of a of Pluto in the 11th house, then it's very much even then, I'm not going to even try to make a difference, so I'm just going to, like, even just get consumed by someone else who's trying to do that and um, give my power away to them. And then Pluto in the 12th house. Pluto in the 12th house. I mean, talk about double intensity, right? I just feel like that's an intense, the 12th house is already an intense place to be because it's the house of the unknown. So if we're going back to Caroline Casey's whole idea of the three phases, you know, in that middle phase is literally just like- we're Unknown in, in the unknown. Un, yeah. So you just have to kind of, talk about lessons in faith is really what that's about yeah. you know so there can be on one hand an obsession to like just know <laughs> you know i just need to know everything like what happens con- after we die Is God yeah. real we're ancient aliens around yeah and i think a word we haven't really th- thrown around but that is related to pluto is control hmm You know, that you can think back on all these things we were talking about and like, what's my relationship to control in that area of my life? And so I think with the 12th house where you're taught more than ever that like you have no control, um, you know, there's a, there is a real opportunity there to have Pluto there and obs you know obsessively get into that feeling of i really am just going to like give over to god spirit universal consciousness and try and be incredibly present to how my power wants to be utilized on this earth plane you can just get spiritual as fuck
0: yeah (laughs) well you probably are spiritual as fuck even if you don't know it like you're probably Mm -hmm. very sensitive and psychically picking up on what other people are thinking and feeling and if you're trying to control all of that it's just going to drive you crazy
1: yeah so you have to be really really intent on boundaries You know, physical, energetic boundaries. Yeah, particularly energetic. Yeah. Cause you could get caught up spending a week like, I don't understand why I'm so upset. And you, you know, realize that you've been carrying around the fucking person who got in a fight on their phone behind you at the supermarket. Totally. A week ago. And you're still just like shaken by that energy. Or your neighbor who's going through a divorce. Or your neighbor's going through divorce. Which neighbor's going through divorce? No, I'm oh, no, sorry. no okay. neighbor that no. we know. <laughs> um, but no, entirely. So I think it's really important to like pay extra special attention because then you can learn how to work with those energies and probably become an amazing healer.
0: Yeah, very true. Pluto you know? in the twelfth house is a beautiful healer placement if reined in.
1: Yeah, you can transform yourself through your healing connection to cosmic consciousness, the universe. And then, yeah, utilize it as a gift for others. So incredibly powerful. I mean, they're all incredibly powerful placements. None of them are terrible. They all come with their challenges, but they all come with their opportunities for growth.
0: Yeah, Pluto's a challenging planet no matter where in your chart it is, but its it's gift is power.
1: Yeah. I mean, it It tends to like usher you through the doors of pain, but ultimately, yeah, you're establishing power and learning how to love yourself better through that process.
0: Yeah. Well, because Pluto is also like connected to the soul. Mm-hmm. So it's like loving the part of you that will never die. Like loving the part of you that transcends this physical plane.
1: Yeah. So I even like to say when, you know, I'm looking at Pluto in a chart that You know, wherever you have Pluto is the area of your life where you're meant to transform at your deepest in this lifetime. Mm. So, you know, it's really important to like establish a powerful relationship with that area. You know, for me, again, it's routine and it's like health, it's fitness. Those are things that in my early years, I had no relationship to. And it wasn't until probably like my later teens and early 20s that I finally like started to like wake up to a relationship with those things. And life really started to make more sense to me. I didn't feel so out of control. Um, I didn't feel so like angry all the time. You know, I started to get a little more like self-awareness. It was such a doorway to self-awareness for me, understanding my Pluto. Would you say the same?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because with my Pluto placement, it's all about other people. And growing up, I really wasn't that interested in anyone besides myself. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So that's definitely been a huge shift.
1: Yeah. So I think really, um, you know, it's just such a profound placement. There's so many great um, books out there and resources. I highly recommend diving deeper into Pluto. And if you have questions for us on, you know, ones that we like, Um, please feel free to reach out and ask.
0: But also you can just meditate on it and just call in the energy of your own Pluto to kind of like, where do you feel it in your body? What does Mm -hmm. it make you think about? What dreams come to you when you're spending a lot of time, you know, looking at that part of your chart. Remember that like books are other people's opinions, but with astrology, it's always going to be personal and it's a mystical practice. It's a Plutonian practice, which means that part of it is unknown. And so you have to go where... No one else has gone before in a lot of ways.
1: Yep. All righty. Well, now it is going to be time for our tarot card of the episode. So take a moment
0: and gather yourself from wherever you've been. Just get present, fully inhabiting your body, feeling yourself breathing deeply. You're sitting outside, the air around you listening to the sound of the cards being shuffled. And if you have a question, if you're needing particular guidance, send that out into the cards at this moment so that you can receive the message that will resonate for you no matter the future place or time to which you listen to this episode. So the card for right now is the Seven of Wands. And wands is the suit that speaks to the spiritual matters of our life. It's the fire of our spirit, so... Creativity and sexuality and spirituality and sevens in and of themselves are the spiritual number of the tarot. You've heard me talk about this before. I'm sure that seven is a sacred spiritual number, the seven chakras, the seven continents, uh, the seven colors in the light spectrum, the seven musical notes. Uh, Seven just has that significance. And so the Seven of Wands is really about letting your spirit guide you forwards. It has a reputation of being a card that speaks to going against the odds or feeling as though you're um, kind of making your own way forwards. To me, I call it the trailblazer card which means that when you pull the seven of wands, you are being asked to blaze a trail forwards, and there is no paradigm, there is no role model, there is nobody but your own spirit to tell you what is next and where you are going. So it's not the easiest card, but it is, again, a card full of power, which is that you, and maybe not even you consciously, maybe not even you, your ego, but your spirit, something deeper than yourself, your immortal soul is able to guide you forwards at this time. And that is the path. Remember, the path is made by walking it. So even though you can't see the path ahead, that's because you haven't walked it yet. And so you let your soul guide you forwards. And how do you let your soul guide you forwards? Well, you get quiet and you listen to it and you pay attention to what feels good in your body and what doesn't feel good in your body. And you listen to your heart and what conversations or people or ideas bring you alive. Anything that doesn't bring you alive is something to kind of leave on the wayside of the path. The thing with the seven of wands is that there are going to be obstacles, but the obstacles are not part of the problem. They're part of the solution. And the path is made by not surmounting the obstacles, but maybe by finding the zigzag path that goes in between them. Because if you remember that each and every moment is perfect and that everything is happening for you, then the obstacles show up so that you understand exactly how your spirit wants to walk the path ahead. I think there's something about fierce self-reliance that is the medicine of this card. Yes. I love that. Fierce self-reliance. I'm on it. So as always, thank you so much for tuning in, for connecting with us, uh, with your questions and your comments and your beautiful reviews. Uh, as we said at the beginning, please sign up for the mailing list. Don't hesitate to reach out, share the podcast, subscribe, rate us five stars, leave a review, Blast us out on your social media. Get us to Oprah. Um, <laughs> we are so grateful to be able to continue to provide this offering to all of you and to continue to create this virtual community that we endeavor to bring into reality uh, in person in 2020.
1: Yeah, you can always find us uh, on Instagram at The Spiritual Gaze, Twitter at Spiritual Gaze, on Facebook, or you can email us at the Spiritual Gaze at gmail.com.
0: So we just want to offer up a big thank you to Juan Diego for all the sound mixing. And a big thank you to Justin Symbian for the interstitial musics that continue to take us from segment to segment. So thanks, Gazers, for showing up and showing out and showing off. Until next time.
1: Until next time. This
0: has been your transit through The Spiritual gate.
1: Thanks, Noche.